Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm extremely excited for this week's episode with the one and only Andy Mant. Andy is an incredible expert on light and light hygiene, which is something that I think is infrequently talked about, but incredibly, incredibly powerful for all of us as we really manage our circadian rhythms and think about how to sort of maintain equilibrium, maintain balance in modern living and life. I have really been paying attention to this. I've gone pretty deep on circadian rhythms and how we can utilize light to sort of maximize our hormonal balance, how we can use light to um, kind of set our rhythm for the day and maximize our cognition, maximize our flow. And, you know, I've, I've done a bunch of research into the circadian rhythm, how it affects sleep, you know, which is obviously when our brain takes out the trash, so to speak, uh, and we are optimized for our day. And basically, I've been having an incredibly powerful morning routine where the first thing I do is go out to the beach 7 a.m. and get my meditation in, get my natural light, get my sunlight, my vitamin D. But what I've also found is that as it starts to get dark, turning off my uh, my bright lights, my blue lights, and moving into more red light and, and softer, warmer light and doing more candles and, and doing more uh, fires and doing more... Um, you know, using my blue light uh, glasses, blocking glasses when I'm working on uh, the computer has really helped me maintain sort of a great rhythm and flow as it relates to sleep. So it's my great pleasure to present this week's Mind Key with uh, an expert in the field of light, the one and only Andy Mance. All right, Andy Mance. We're all good. It's good to uh, connect with you, my man. Um, I'm very glad to have you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Absolute honor, Michael. Honestly, um, yeah, love what you do. Love what the show's all about. And I'm really humbled to be on and be able to chat to your amazing community. Yeah, thank you. Oh, I'll tell you what, it's, uh, I think it's very timely. Um, I think all of us are, you know, as we record this, uh, because this will be out, you know, obviously for years to come, we're amidst the coronavirus pandemic. And as a result, many of us have been uh, quarantined inside and and therefore subject uh, subject to our internal environments, uh, I think more so than usual. Um, and with that, I think um, a variety of, of things that, that are impacting our health. I, for example, found that I'm more fatigued than usual. And I'm having a hard time, for example, establishing my sort of circadian rhythms. And you as an expert on light, I thought it'd be really wonderful for us to chat a little bit about, you know, sort of circadian biology and light hygiene for those listening, because I think, you know, we're all now besieged by so much uh, light, artificial light from our devices, from fluorescent tubes, from, you know, unknown, unknown sources, many, and many people don't actually realize the implications that that has on their health, on their energy levels, etc. And obviously in doing, you know, my research, 
research and in our conversations previously, I just found you extraordinarily knowledgeable. Uh, and I would love to hear your thoughts around sort of ways in which we can approach light and think about it. You know, what's the difference between blue light and red light? Um, you know, natural and artificial light sources, and and kind of how we can navigate through the world of light, uh, especially now that we're living um, so frequently in internal environments where we do not control the quality uh, of that light. Yeah, absolutely, um, and yeah, would be absolutely honoured to um, take a deep dive into this um, with you. It's um, definitely. A subject that's gained a lot more popularity now that people are in lockdown, um, as you mentioned so rightly just then, um, you know, people are spending more and more time indoors. I mean, you know, before the coronavirus, um, the stat from Harvard Health was 85 percent of our time as humans on average is spent indoors, um, which is a phenomenal amount considering hundreds of thousands of years ago, you know, we spent, you know, 100% of our time probably out or maybe 85% of our time outside, maybe 15% in um, shelters. Um, So it's, I guess, the first point I'd like to talk about is talk a little bit about a circadian rhythm, um, and then we can tie everything into light after that. Um, So I think it's good for people to understand what that actually is. Um, so circadian rhythms, um, it's a Latin word, um, circa, which means about and dean, which is a day. And all mammals on Earth have one of these rhythms. Um, and what it does is it allows the human body to almost tell the time. And by telling what specific time it is during the day or the evening, the body then knows and has signals to be able to release specific hormones and neurotransmitters to make us function optimally. Now, we evolved under the sun, and it just appears that when you look at the science of how circadian rhythms are entrained and works, they actually are entrained by light. So light passing through the eyes, light hitting the skin will send messages to your circadian rhythm to tell you what time of the day it is. And if you went outside and you got a spectrometer and you measured the frequencies of light every hour throughout the day, they would be different, okay? So it's always changing. There'd be more blue light, maybe less blue light, maybe more red, maybe more infrared, less UV, more UV. And all those invisible and visible frequencies over the you know tens of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years that we've evolved as a, as a species have created this circadian rhythm which is tied 100% to the sun. Mm. Now, what happens, you know, scoot forward, you know, hundreds of thousands of years to you know, the invention of the light bulb. Um, Edison created something that was, in essence, an artificial sun, you know, a little mini alien sun. But what they did was when they created this light bulb, it was very high in, in red light. It was very low in blue light. And as we'll come to explain later on, red light really has no impact on circadian rhythms, but blue light does. So for the first sort of 100, 150 years of the invention of the light bulb, it was business as usual. We were fine. We were still outside quite a lot. There was not a lot of this artificial light around. You know, you'd have maybe a few of these incandescent bulbs in your house, but you wouldn't have a TV. You wouldn't have a smartphone. You would literally just have this one one light source. But the big issue for circadian rhythms came with the, I guess, governments in the Western world wanting to create something that was more energy efficient. They wanted to revolutionize the light bulb so people weren't putting incandescence in, um, burning through a lot of electric and having to replace them every couple of weeks. So they invented something called an LED light. But what they did was with this LED light is that they removed all the red light and put more blue light in. 
keeps it a lot more energy efficient, makes a brighter image, um, into, sorry, brighter projection of light, um, illuminates much better. And then as the um, these light bulbs came to fruition, they started to replace those with incandescence, very difficult to get incandescent light bulbs now. And the blue light and the frequencies present in those LEDs kind of mimicked what solar noon was like in the sun. So as you can see where I'm going with this, we're now living under a perpetual, you know, midday sun in our indoor lives. And what then happened sort of post the 1990s and into the 2000s was we started to see these LEDs find their way into other inventions like smartphones, like flat screen TVs. Um, car headlights then started to use LEDs and now they use xenon. Um, fridge lights started to use LEDs. You know, we had things in our house called um, routers that have LEDs in them. Our appliances went digital. Burglar alarms, um, you know, security alarms all had LEDs in it, which emitted this blue light, which then disrupted our circadian rhythms. So we've almost lived today, Michael, in this amazing world of technology. Um, and I've never taken anything away from the amazingness of, of how we're speaking now and using LEDs in, in our lives. But we're living in this world where our ancestral circadian rhythm is living in this mismatched world where it cannot handle and interpret the correct light frequency. So it's unbalancing our hormones, it's disrupting our sleep, and it's ultimately destroying our health. Yeah. Uh, powerfully said. Uh, it, it's super fascinating to me t- thinking about. I, 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 you probably know the name, but I, I, I first heard about sort of circadian biology and circadian rhythms as it relates to light and health uh, in a TED talk, uh, and and it was it was profound because basically it was more around diet. But I think a lot of what you're talking about it almost reminds me in some ways of, of the of the of some some of those who advocate, for example, for the paleo movement. And thinking about the fact that much of our cognition, much of our health is oriented still towards the ancient biology uh, of the human that's evolved over these you know, hundreds of thousands of years. And so it's only in our very, very, very recent history in the last blip that we've actually been confronted with the inputs that we find now in terms of nutrition, in terms of diet, but also in terms of light. And it's kind of a, a, grand, a grand experiment that's sort of being conducted mm-hmm. in real time. And I think I think it's super powerful to 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 really deep dive on that. Are there any other like resources that you have tapped into for those who are first hearing about this notion of circadian biology and 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 lights and you know the the notion of how how when we do things affects us? Are there any great authors or resources that you've encountered that that can really illuminate this concept? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, a great starting point um, just to get into this kind of thing is Dr. Sachin Panda's book, um, The Circadian Code. That was the TED Talk. That was the TED Talk. I love it. Okay, fantastic. (laughs) I thought it was. That's why I segued into that one. But um, yeah, no, he's great. And um, he has a really good way of of explaining things. The TED Talk, like you said that you watched, um, that really sort of explains what a circadian rhythm is um, in, in a little bit more detail than what I've just gone into. His book is fantastic. Um, and as again, as you rightly mentioned, light is um, not the only driver of circadian rhythms, food, exercise, cold temperature, things like that all, also drive circadian rhythms, just not as more, not as powerful as, as light. Um, another person to go and research as well, um, very big in the UK is Dr. Rungan Chatterjee. Um, he is a 
a doctor, more, more like a celebrity doctor in the UK, um, you know, probably like a, a Dr. Phil, I guess, or someone like that in, in, in your country, um, where like, you know, he's on the TV quite a lot, but he's, he's a lot more credible in terms of what he um, says about circadian rhythms. Like he isn't just a doctor that's talking about health and diet and um, exercise and things like that. He is really drilling into the circadian side of things. Um, and I work quite closely with him when he's doing talks to sort of fact check some of the things he's, he's going on stage and saying. So he's got three or four books out at the moment um, where he is talking about sort of five pillars of health. So he's talking about EMFs, he's talking about um, circadian rhythms, he's talking about dieting and, and exercise, etc. So he is well worth a follow as well. Um, if people want to find a little bit more out from a real scientific side, um, so want to take a deep, deep dive, then you probably want to look at someone called Bill Lagacos, um, very active on Twitter. Um, he wrote a book called The Poor Misunderstood Calorie, um, but he is very much into circadian rhythms and talking about the latest science. Um, you'll need to have a very keen scientific brain to understand what he's saying a lot of the time. A um, bit like people like Jack Cruz, um, who talks a lot about light and circadian rhythms. So, you know, they're probably your four go-tos on, on that circadian side. I mean, you know, Luke Story did a really good podcast a couple of days ago that um, I've read the show notes for, but I haven't actually listened to yet, but I will be with Alexander Wunsch, who is the world leading researcher in everything light and circadian rhythms and how light impacts human biology. Um, and I just feel that that's going to be an epic listen. I can't comment because I haven't listened to it, but just reading what was discussed, um, there's a lot of stuff in there that I think is going to educate myself as well um, on on light. So yeah, I think that those are probably the top six for me, Michael, for people to really get started and um, you know really take a, a, a serious interest in what a circadian rhythm is. Because at the end of the day, and these guys all get it as well, is that you know circadian rhythms are, are, are tied to a lot of health issues that we have today. If our, our circadian rhythm isn't functioning correctly, we can leave ourselves open to a whole host of, of nasty, you know, potential issues such as, you know, cancers, diabetes, um, obesity, heart disease, um, you know, and even neurological issues like anxiety, seasonal affective disorder, you know, stress, um, chronic fatigue, the list goes on. And, you know, a lot of conventional, you know, you've got your conventional doctors that will chuck you a, a pill to try and solve these things. Then you've got sort of people that are in the nutrition world that are saying, you know, switch your diet and you'll change all this stuff. And then, you know, you've got this new body of science that's saying, well, actually, you know, you can change your diet and that will take you so far. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer of that. I've done it myself. But for an overall better health picture, you need to take circadian rhythm seriously as well if, if, you, if you value long term, um, you know, health and wellness. Yeah, I, I have been really tapping into that in part based on our conversations. Luke, Luke Story is obviously also a good friend and and a variety of, of, of friends of mine have, have, have really tuned me into it. And so it's interesting because I've been I've been well aware of light for some time. Uh, so I have I have Scandinavian roots, um, so Swedish heritage. And I first realized just how affected I was by light. I mean, I think I knew intuitively, but, you know, growing up in Chicago, where the winters could be particularly brutal and dark. Uh, but still, I lived largely with, you know, sort of with the rhythms of the day, if you will. I would get up at 6.30 in the morning and I had a very regimented schedule. I was very active. I was young. Um, 
But when I moved to for college to Maine and I started to you know do things as you, you know, kind of university students will do, which is stay up all night or stay up you know well into the wee hours of the yeah. morning and then sleep in and and I remember some days I'd almost miss the light entirely, right? Like if I if I slept in and woke up at noon in the middle of mm-hmm. a Maine winter, the you know if there was sun out, which was rare, oftentimes rare, it would be it would be you know it would be set by three p.m. And so that's actually when I started to literally feel the effects of, of feeling you know depressive more anxious etc and that's where for the first time I actually experimented with uh, a light box um, and actually sitting literally in front of an artificial source of light to sort of stimulate uh, the brain and, and various receptors such that it would sort of assuage some of that anxiety and you know while while it was wasn't perfect it definitely did help and so I started tuning into that and actually in part was what led me to I mean I, I went for very different reasons, but you know, I, it affected me so much that literally after my sophomore year in college, I went to Sri Lanka because I needed to go to the tropics uh, to be sort of not only deeply immersed back in nature, but <laughs> but 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 honestly wanted to to be in a place where 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 sun was was so frequent and and I was exposed not only to sun but to really virulent and uh, nature and and really just kind of feel the healing that that kind of lifestyle brought. And in Sri Lanka, it's actually where I was really tuned into circadian living because I lived in a village, you know, and the monks would start chanting before the sunrise and the roosters would crow and everyone mm. would be out sweeping, you know, with the palm fraud leaves and, and, and people would go to sleep, you know, not soon after the sunset. And it was the mm-hmm. first time I had really been exposed to a lifestyle, perhaps more accordant with our ancestral lifestyle style, wherein, you know, we lived, you know, largely in relationship to the cycles of the sun, as well as sort of the lunar cycles. I mean, that was also fascinatingly enough, you know, in Sri Lanka, every full moon was a religious holiday. So everyone was off during the moon. So just much more attuned to the natural cycles of life. Um, but but without go- digressing sort of too far, I, I, I'm super interested in this topic of circadian biology. How, as you think about light, how do you think about living optimally with light for, for most of us listening who may be living, you know, not in Sri Lanka, although actually I found, interestingly enough, this is a top 100 podcast in Sri Lanka, but, uh, but, <laughs> but, but for those who are listening in places perhaps where they're in a more urban environment or, or uh, you know, I hesitate to use the word modern, but, you know, a lot of, you know, migration is towards mega cities and mm-hmm. people are uh, besieged by artificial sources of light, you know, sources they can't control. So as you think about it, how would you navigate through this sort of brave new world from sort of sunrise to sunset and beyond, basically to bedtime, if for, for, mm. for the average person, such that you could really optimize your day and diminish the impact of harsh inputs, if you will? Yeah, that- Absolutely. Yeah, for, for sure. And, and, you know, it really, you know, we're, we're talking about it from sort of the average day, but, you know, th- this can change seasonally um, and it can change with what latitude you, you live at as well, um, just because of how the sun and um, I guess day, even places with daylight savings can screw things up a little bit as well. But let's talk about it, I guess, from an average day. Um, so I guess that the first thing that we need to do is that we need to when we wake up in the morning, we need to entrain 
our circadian clock system correctly. And by that, I mean, we need to start it correctly, you know, put the right fuel into it, give it the right input to be able to function correctly and tell the correct time from the beginning of the day. And the only way to do that is allow the first light that hits your eyes to be that from the rising sun. Okay, Mm. so the frequencies of light that are present during the rising sun is enough to entrain your circadian rhythm correctly release the correct neurotransmitters and and hormones. So when you see that first light, you're going to get a burst of of cortisol, which is absolutely essential um, in combination with the cortisol awakening response to almost jumpstart you into your day. It's almost the key in the ignition, that cortisol spike. And that's why a lot of people get tired in the mornings and can't get out of bed because they're not getting that jumpstart in the morning and they reach for the caffeine or or whatever it is they, they do. So the rising sun can do that. Um, and I'm a firm believer that it, it's true because I was, you know, like yourself, Michael, back in, in college and even into my 20s where, you know, I would just lie in in the mornings. I, I used to think to my people, these think to myself, these people that are morning people are absolutely insane. Like, how do they physically <laughs> do it? It's because they have proper circadian rhythms. Mm-hmm. So the other things that are released during that rising sun um, is something called dopamine and something called serotonin. And dopamine is essential for that first hit in the morning because you don't want to get out of bed, not see that sunrise and not get that dopamine hit. Because what is dopamine? It's that reward system. You know, it's it's that sort of, wow, I feel good. I feel great. Um, I want to do this more often. And you'll get in the habit of then getting up every day and watching that sunrise. And why would the sun and our evolution link that morning sun to that rise in dopamine it's because the sun wants you out there your body wants to be out there it wants to be there for a a, you know a properly functioning circadian rhythm and serotonin also is released at that first light in the morning as well and it's produced in the gut and the the study studies that we've been reading indicate that melatonin later on in the day which is a sleep hormone i'll come on to that in in a bit is only produced when serotonin levels and tryptophan levels are at an optimal um, an optimal level and in the absence of blue and green light after sunset. So watching that morning sun isn't just that sort of jump start you need for the day with the cortisol. It's also that hit of feel-good hormone to make you feel happy, but also the production of serotonin, which is later needed to help you sleep in the day. So it all starts with that sunrise. Now, it does not matter if it's cloudy, if it's raining, you just need to be outside for longer because the frequencies of light will be the same on a cloudy day that you're getting, but they just won't be as high as intensity. So you just need to be out there for a little bit longer than if you've got beautiful blue skies, you can be out for maybe four or five minutes in the morning. I mean, I'd always say as long as possible, but you know, I appreciate people have jobs to get to um, when this uh, virus thing dies down. But you know, get outside four or five minutes. If it's cloudy, double, triple that time, and you will then start your skating rhythm going correctly. Now, the next thing you want to be able to do is um, you don't, I guess going back to the morning sun, you don't want to roll over and let the first light be artificial light because the composition of light in any artificial source, so in your smartphone, if you flick on your bedroom light in the morning, is going to be solar noon. So if your eyes see that, um, that light first thing in the morning, your circadian rhythm is going to phase shift. You're going to miss out on all the amazing hormonal and neurotransmitter benefits that you would have got by watching that rising sun and skip straight to solar noon where, you know, the, the, the hormones and the neurotransmitters will be different. So you don't want to be looking at that phone first. You want to be out in the sun. So when you come back into the house, um, ideally the sun has, has, has risen. You don't need artificial lights on. If you do, then you want to be looking to invest in some bulbs, 
that don't um, give out copious amounts of blue light. So red bulbs are, are good um, if you want to have them on after sunset. You can also get full spectrum light bulbs. You can also get ones that are yellow in color that actually don't have huge amounts of blue light in. So it keeps the circadian rhythm not receiving the, the incorrect information. So when you when you get to work, um, typically people work in an office. If you work outside, you're laughing. Um, you know, you, you, you basically got it perfect. But a lot of people now work in an office or work from home. You ideally want to be as close to a window as possible. Um, you know, that's the closest you're going to get to natural, good natural light that's coming through. You also need to hack a lot of your work um, equipment as well. For instance, when I used to work in an office, we had these horrible tube fluoro lights um, above us. Um, and they used to give me migraines. So I got building management to remove the light above my head. I just said, look, you can leave it up there, but I'm going to have more sick days and cost you more money. Better remove it. And they were like, OK, yeah, we'll, we'll get it done. So they removed that. Migraines reduced it instantly. I asked as well, I want to sit nearer a window. Um, again, I used the, the health thing as well. Um, you know, you can get creative with these things. Um, but I also hacked my laptop. Um, and my monitor, I put on some free software on it at the time called Flux, um, which reduced down a lot of the blue light that was present in it and that was sending the incorrect messages to my brain. Now, nowadays, all the monitors are built in with blue light reduction filters. So you can just go to your display settings and reduce those down. I used to put a salt lamp next to my laptop um, as well and monitor because the reds and orange lights coming out from that would balance the detrimental effects of the blue light that was still being given out by my screen and other ambient sources around the office. So that's always essential to do as well. And another thing I say during the day, Michael, to people is that you get you get people that smoke cigarettes and they go outside in the morning and the afternoon for a smoke break. The healthy people need to go outside at the same time, but for a sun break, mm. because as I said earlier, the frequencies of light change throughout the day and send different messages. So even if you just pop outside for a couple of minutes, you know, just to get a little bit of sunlight, that's going to send another message to your, your, your circadian rhythm to allow for, you know, other hormonal changes and neurotransmitter changes to happen in the, the body that will keep you feeling, you know, really well and healthy and help you sleep better later on in the day. So I always say that. When lunchtime comes, avoid sitting in the break room. Um, you, you don't want to be sat in there. Even light passing through a window is still filtered light. You need to be outside eating your lunch, rain or shine. So, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I'm sat in Australia talking to you about this, where we have 300 days of sunshine in our state a year. So it's very easy for me to say, go outside and eat all the time. Um, but even when it's raining, I find an undercover area and I'll sit and eat. Um, and, you know, even if it's a cafe that you go to and they've got an outside bit that's a bit undercover, like try and sit out there. And, you know, even if it's cold, you know, get your coat on, go outside and get that light into your eyes. Now, the next stage of that is that will happen during the, your work day. Then the next important thing to do in an ideal world, although I know that this can be difficult for people, is a sunset, being outside around about the time of sunset. Because what happens at sunset, about 20 minutes before the sunset, and I've tested this, and actually, ironically, I tested it in Sri Lanka over Christmas, huh. is that um, I measured the spectral um, frequencies of light uh, about an hour before sunset and about 20 minutes after sunset. Because there was a lot of like theory bounding around that blue light is actually at its highest about 20 minutes before the sun sets. 
And it's that light that then triggers a decrescendo effect with the circadian rhythm that then says, okay, blue light is now at its highest point. From this point onwards, blue light is going to go away to nothing, which means we're going to get darkness, which means we can produce sleep hormone and then get ready to go to bed. And I was like, okay, well, I haven't seen any spectral analysis reports on this. So I just so happened to have you know, a $10,000 bit of equipment that I bought with me on holiday because I'm a geek and I like testing stuff all the time. Um, I brought it down to the beach, no artificial light around, and I started testing it every 20 minutes. And lo and behold, 20 minutes before that sun started to set, blue light just spiked massively and almost all other colors of light went to almost, you know, next to nothing. I was absolutely shocked. And then I continued then testing every five, six minutes after that effect and it just slowly every five minutes just dropped until about 10 minutes after sunset it was only red light and orange light present and it was just amazing to be able to verify that and um then what happens is i guess once that sun has set and you've seen that sunset or you've at least been out around about that time because again people have got lives to to live and can't spend most of their day standing around in the sun um you then need to create physiological darkness and a guy called phelps in 2002 did a really big study on circadian rhythms and he coined this term physiological darkness which is the absence of blue and majority of green light after sunset and he wanted to coin that phrase because he knew that you know people aren't going to go into their house unless they're the extreme biohackers um you know and and just have this environment that's that's just campfire like our ancestors so physiologic darkness was basically the use of, of something called blue light blocking glasses where you would wear them after sunset and they would filter the frequencies of light that would disrupt your circadian rhythm. So it's important to wear a pair of those that blocks exactly the frequencies that interrupt melatonin, which is between 400 nanometers and 550 nanometers. So in layman's terms, 100% of blue light and about 80% of the green spectrum needs to be 100% blocked. And then once those go on, um, you know, within two to three hours after the sun has set, um, you then start to feel sleepy. You then want to go to bed. Um, you go to bed and then rinse and repeat exactly what I've what I've said um, the next day. So, you know, some other hacks in the evening that, that I personally do, and I'm quite extreme with it. And I get if people want to, you know, do these hacks in a staged process to see how it makes them feel, because it's it will it will feel and, and, and sound quite radical to start with. So I have red light bulbs in my house. Um, yes, it looks like a brothel to the outside world. Do I care? <laughs> Not really. Um, no one's knocked on the door yet, so I'm happy. Um, so what, what we do is we have lamps in our house um, that have these red light bulbs in. So I can put those on so my skin isn't impacted by the blue light um, because there's receptors in the skin that actually tell the time as well. We can speak about a bit, that a bit more later if, if the need um, need arises. But I also have, um, I always put candles on. Um, I always have a couple of salt lamps next to my TV if I want to watch something on, on the telly. Um, and then I also have a 100% light blocking sleep mask that I use when I sleep because light hitting your closed eyes when you sleep disrupts melatonin, increases blood sugar levels. And studies have shown this as well. So it's it's a lot of different hacks you can do. And I know that's probably a lot for people to digest. But what I say as well, Michael, is even if people just do one or two of those things to start with, like maybe start with the sunrise and doing the sun breaks because that's free. 
in in the mornings and in the the afternoons and, and eat your lunch outside and maybe you know stick a couple of salt lamps in your house and candles in an evening um then upgrade to getting you know blue light blocking glasses and see how that um makes you feel and eventually you'll start piecing things together and then get a thirst that oh my gosh this is actually improving my sleep and my wellness and my hormones and i feel great and not anxious so people then start to to look more deeper into this and um yeah come out the other side just happier healthier and you know much better much better people yeah, mate. I so appreciate that. I've 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 found that you know I'm I'm probably not at a ten level in terms of like I could still use I think true uh, dark like my 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 bedroom doesn't get absolutely pitch black because um, the the, the catch twenty two is I I do I know that it would be better if it was true dark but I actually find it so hard to get up in the morning <laughs> if I if I'm in total darkness um, whereas when it's the sun and I. I definitely have the blinds drawn so it's it's very dark but i do find that when the sun starts to come up i find that does help to to wake me up and i i do uh, you know all the other practices so i do try to go out and meditate first thing in the morning outside um i also uh you know have salt lamps and i do do candlelight i have uh you know the uh, blue blocks red light uh you know, blue light blocking glasses. I have, uh, a variety of different, you know, the, even on the sleep side, you know, I've, I've, I've tuned that up. I'm doing saunas at night now to also just sort of calm my body. I'm finding the sauna and the cold shower is actually really helping. I started it because uh, my friend, Dr. G, who's been on the show, well, you should tap in with him as well. I'd love to connect you. But he, mm-hmm. uh, he was tapping me in on the, as we were not, as we're not sure exactly the efficacy of the coronavirus or, you know, how how, how virulent it was, how prolific it was, you know, he was, he just advised me, he's like one for the immune boosting function, but two, because you do have a sauna, you know, um, it has been shown that the virus sort of, uh, can't live past, you know, maybe even lower threshold, but 130 degrees. So he's like, yeah. you might as well every night do that sauna. So I, it's been actually one of the healthy routines that I've incorporated during this process. And I'll have the red light on in there. So I'll have the red light on, Amazing. which I can still do a bit of reading with I find and it's turned into a really lovely like night routine so I'm going out I watch the sunset I come back you know I put on I put on my salt lamps I put on my uh my blue light blocking glasses and and then I you know if I'm doing my computer work um and I'm finding that I'm settling more into you know it's not maybe Sri Lanka level in terms of my past uh of really feeling like I'm out kind of in the village life if you will but Mm -hmm. I definitely feel for urban living it feels much better um talk a little bit if you will because one of the things that I've found fascinating in the research and, and even when I was listening to other shows with you on it you talked a little bit about thyroid function and hormones and I know for example that I've definitely had hormonal imbalance at times inclusive of which was thyroid issues and I didn't know that I, I didn't know the association with uh, light so could you talk a little bit about how light affects your hormones yeah ab- absolutely and um, you know you would have noticed when we um, Michael and I had a quick chat over video before we, we dialed in for this show and, and you would have noticed I'm sat here with a, a turtleneck jumper on um, which <laughs> is covering my thyroid at the moment so yeah for the um, the observant out there um, that is something I like to, to wear um, as much as possible obviously um, it's not always possible and the reason I do that is that there's been a huge surge um, in the last sort of 10 years with 
people having thyroid issues, um, you know, Hashimoto's hyperhypothyroidism. Um, and I guess the there's not a lot of studies on this, um, but there are a couple um, specifically from Japan that have looked at how light can impact the thyroid. And I guess that the theory goes that, um, you know, the thyroid is a very unique, um, it's, it's in a very unique position. It's only a few millimeters below the skin, which allows blue light to penetrate that area of the skin. Because um, blue light can't penetrate very deep. Um, you know, when you look at um, red light therapy, for instance, um, if you use infrared and, and, you know, 660 nanometer red light, it penetrates right into the muscles. Whereas um, blue light can only penetrate, you know, four or five millimeters under the skin. And it, lo and behold, that's kind of the position that the thyroid is. And what blue light does is that it stimulates, um, it excites, it's very high energy um, frequency of light. Um, that also um, categorically, without a doubt, damages cells um, at a, you know, a skin cellular level, um, you know, up to about sort of three to five millimeters underneath, but also the retina as well. Think, think digital eye strain. Think when you're sat at a, a laptop all day and, you know, you only take a few breaks from the screen and at the end of the day, your eyes are stinging, you've got a tension headache, um, you know, you've got maybe watery eyes. That's a sign that there's been some cellular damage in, in your eyes caused by the blue light. Um, so the thyroid is is no different. And because of its unique position, um, you know, that the theory in the Japanese study um, stated that, you know, light can really impact um, the production of specific hormones and T cell production at that junction in the human body. So, what we see is specifically a rise in these thyroid issues in females. Um, and I guess my main thought process on it, and it's just my opinion, is that in the corporate environment, when we're, you know, looking at a, a, a you know, monitor or a laptop screen, yeah, it's shining on our thyroid, both male and female, but females typically wear, you know, um, articles of clothing that may have a, a sort of neckline in them, um, which exposes a thyroid. In this day and age, um, a lot of people that work in corporate environments that are that are male um, typically wear a shirt and tie, which kind of you know protects that area. A lot of people, um, a lot of men have beards these days, very fashionable, which also provides some level of protection. And it may also be um, you know a, ge a genetic thing as as well, where women are, are more susceptible to it for for certain sort of DNA and genetic reasons. But you know, I always say and. I know a lot of people do this now. I know um, I mentioned it first on, on, on Expanded with Lacey Phillips, and she now takes my advice, which is wear a silk scarf when you're utilizing this te technology. Cover that thyroid area. Guys, if you can, you know, keep the shirt and tie on, or, or if you can't, or if you're working from home, maybe the turtleneck like I'm I'm rocking at the moment. Luckily, they're, they're coming back in fashion, so I don't look like I'm from the 90s. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think people just need to be cognizant to the fact that, you know, it's a very sensitive area. It, it's, it's obviously impacted by certain stimuli, you know, even people that have Hashimoto's are, are put on paleo type diets typically that are grain free because that um, has been, you know, shown in studies that, you know, gluten and grains can impact it as well. So it's just a very sensitive area, Michael. And, you know, we just have to think about how, you know, light can impact things at a surface level. And, and it would be no surprise that we'll see more studies on this moving forward that really verify what these Japanese researchers have found. Um, when we talk about other hormones, um, cortisol is a really big one as well. And, and cortisol is one of these 
hormones that is sometimes incorrectly demonized and, and a lot of people call it the stress hormone oh cortisol this is bad cortisol that you know and cortisol is is good and it's good during the day because you what cortisol does is in, in its main um main function is it makes us feel alert and awake um you know like i mentioned earlier it jump starts you when it's at its highest in, in the morning which means you've got this perfectly functioning circadian rhythm and it should then taper off during the day and then when the sun sets and it gets dark it should be nothing you know it should be hardly any cortisol there and what that then makes us feel is relaxed um it allows melatonin to then start to be produced from the tryptophan and, and the serotonin in the absence of the blue and the green light but what we're doing now is that we're living in this environment that's devoid of darkness. So we're coming home after work, we're switching on the house lights, we're opening the fridge, we're watching telly and we're scrolling through our smartphones, which is telling our, our central clock system, our circadian rhythm, that it's still daytime. So what is associated with daytime? High levels of cortisol. Um, so our cortisol levels can do one of two things when this happens. It can remain chronically high which then leads to overtime issues like low mood, stress, anxiety, and depression. But in the majority of cases, it actually reverses its cycle, which is really interesting. So what you find is when you're exposed to incorrect light dark cycles, which is basically anyone that's living under artificial light without blue light blocking glasses or hacking some of the lights in their house, is that they are struggling to wake up and get out of bed in the morning mm. and a lot of people listening to this will will understand this i used to be one of them um you, you used to be one of them as well um back in the college days that you know it was a struggle you're just like oh god you know like i can't be asked to get out of bed i just want to lie here whereas that's not normal and we've just been led to to make that make to feel that that is normal whereas when you actually start you know getting that correct cortisol cycle you're going to be jumping out of bed. Trust me, it's going to happen. But what then happens is because that's a low cortisol level in the morning and you can't be asked to get out of bed, you know, you, you pull yourself out of bed, you're miserable, you go to work, you're, you know, down all day and, and sad. But then what you find is, and I found this, and, and when I, I didn't know what it was, was back in the day, but I'd finish work, I'd get home and myself and my wife would have all this like energy. We'd be like, oh my God, I feel really awake now. Yeah, at work, I, I always feel tired at work. Like, what is it with work? Is it is it boring? Um, why do I always feel awake when I get, get home? And, you know, it just so happens that our cortisol cycles were reversed. So we're having low cortisol in the morning, high in the evening. So that means that you don't produce as much melatonin. It takes, you know, go to bed later, which is bad for um, sleep cycles and circadian rhythms. Um, you're not going to get into deep and REMs like, proper deep and REM sleep cycles because your melatonin levels aren't optimal. So then that really wreaks havoc at a hormonal level from a cortisol and a melatonin um, perspective. Another hormone that's really impacted by light is insulin. And I've spoken about this um, on some more of the food podcasts that I've been in that, um, you know, insulin is something that the food people say that is produced when you eat a carbohydrate. So you can spike it by eating, you know, a piece of fruit or, you know, you can spike it by eating a piece of bread or, or a potato or whatever it may be. Um, and if you have that chronically high over a long period of time, you become insulin resistant and then you can lead to things like obesity and diabetes. Now, there are studies out there that show that insulin is actually stimulated not just by food, but by non-native EMF sources such as microwaves, such as 
um, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and also artificial blue light. Um, there's been studies that have shown each and every one of those non-native EMFs actually increases blood sugar levels, which then triggers the release of insulin. So when people are not eating outside, and I eat all my meals outside, I don't eat after dark for this very reason, is that if you're sat in the evening eating your meal with your family, which is culturally in, in the US, culturally in Australia, the UK, um, a very you know correct thing to do, the way that you partition those macronutrients that you might eat in the evening, whether it's fat, carbs, protein, whatever it may be, will be very different to when you, if you would have eaten that meal at solar noon, which is the most optimal time, you know, 11 to about one in the afternoon to eat that meal for aesthetic purposes and health purposes. Because regardless to what food you're eating in the evening, your insulin levels are going to be higher. You're going to become more, you're more insulin resistant when you're eating under blue light. You have higher blood sugar levels, which again is going to keep those um, insulin levels chronically high if you're then eating a carbohydrate-rich meal after, after sunset. And this is why a lot of diets that eliminate carbohydrates do so well, because people can, can continue to eat under artificial light in the evening and not have a huge impact on insulin and blood glucose levels because they're not then fueling the high insulin levels, the high blood glucose levels with additional carbohydrate. But I mean, I was a, I was a keto follower and a carnival follower for a long time, but since I understood light and since I looked at getting my gut health um, corrected as well, because serotonin is produced in the gut and I wanted an optimal environment for that to be produced in, I found that I could manage my light environment, not eat after sunset, but during the day, eat a lot more carbohydrate and not put on any weight and not feel bloated and not feel like I was, um, you know, doing detriment to my health. So, you know, what you eat, I'm not saying you can get your light fixed and you can eat anything you want. Jack Cruz says that, um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's fairly incorrect. You can't get your light environment right and then go and smash Big Macs all day. What we're saying is that you don't have to go on these um, macronutrient restricted diets like a vegan diet, like a carnivore diet. You can actually eat a more rounded diet if you so choose. But if you do choose to go that carnivore route or you do choose to go that vegan route and whatever works for you, I encourage you to do. If you're doing it under the incorrect light, you're going to wreak havoc with your hormones your insulin levels, your blood sugar levels, which can then cause you to have issues later in life that might not actually be related to the diet you're eating, but the light in which you're eating that food under. Uh, mind blown right now. <laughs> I'm sitting here like, um, I want to rewind on something because it hit yeah. me acutely personally, and I think probably the list, some of the listeners as well, which is you, you had said something, one, you're not eating after dark, which I, I find fascinating. I mean, one of the things we've talked about on the show, and obviously if you want to interject on it, I'd love your thoughts, but uh, the benefits of fasting and intermittent fasting, and obviously you're eating windows, which 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 um, I'd be curious to see if that has a corollary to, to why you choose to not eat after dark but also you mentioned that which is absolutely true and we've had some really phenomenal gut health uh, doctors uh, around getting your gut straight as 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 it is your you know your, your your second brain and where you produce your serotonin and so many of us especially those who are listening in the US 
which is where the you know is is still uh, a good portion of my listeners. You know, we do have glyphosate, we have you know genetically modified mm-hmm. wheat, we have things that have kind of done an assault on our on our gut lining and our microbiome. So when you said when you did say like okay, there's a corollary between light and diet and when you eat. Uh, and you said you you had done some various practices to get your gut right, and then found that actually it was because because I still the, the reason I asked this is one I have I know I've had gut permeability in the past and I've done work to 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 remedy that, but two I still wake up and I've suspected it was mold or some type of allergen, but I still wake up on the cortisol side um, in different places. I feel much more awake. So when I was in Italy over the summer, I think it was because it was a very clean environment, and I was living in accordance with natural cycles. I woke up like a shot early morning, whereas here mm-hmm. I still wake up early, but it's definitely a forced. It's definitely a forced get up and I'm definitely first – I'm still thinking about coffee straight away. And I, I do go meditate of course in the sun and that once by the time I get coffee and I'm out in the sun, I feel good. But it isn't in the ease. So there's two questions there. One, do you have any thoughts around cortisol in the morning? And secondly, what did you do that enabled you to think about um, optimizing for gut health and then com- combined with light as a part of your diet uh, such that you exited meals in the evening and are now feeling optimal? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things that I, I did for my health, um, aside from, from the light hygiene, um, corrections was I dropped caffeine, all forms of caffeine. And, um, you know, I was a big coffee drinker, you know, I was, you know, almost an addict to coffee. I was drinking six or seven of these, these cups of it a day. And, and, you know, I, I found that it, it really triggered anxiety for me, but I also found that it made me sluggish. And, you know, when I research it a little bit more, um, you know, you have different responders to, to caffeine. Some people can metabolize it quickly and, and it's okay. Others, it remains in the bloodstream um, for a lot longer. And for me, um, what I believe caffeine did for me is that caffeine is a potent um, suppressor of something called adenosine. Um, and adenosine is the byproduct of something called adenosine triphosphate, which a lot of people know as ATP, which is a, like the energy production system within our mitochondria and what caffeine does and why it makes us feel alert and awake is that it blocks the receptors that allow the brain to speak to the gut to say you know we have a lot of adenosine in our brain we feel sluggish um, for this reason we haven't had good sleep and cleared out that adenosine Um, it blocks that message from happening so you feel alert and awake and the adenosine remains in the brain when you drop caffeine, those receptors can mend and repair, which means that when adenosine levels build up to a specific point in the brain, you then have something called sleep pressure, which is which is induced, which then gives you the need to sleep. So there's two mechanisms to sleep, which is um, the, the need to sleep via sleep pressure and adenosine buildup and um, the circadian um, way to sleep, which is light dark cycles and both work in unison. It just so happens that metabolic processes run throughout the day. Um, by the time it's time to sleep, which might be, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, um, in combination with the correct circadian rhythm, you'll fall asleep. The adenosine will be cleared out of the brain and you'll wake up feeling fresh in the morning. When you drink caffeine, you're impairing those receptors, which means that you might be following a good light practice and get yourself off to sleep, you know, in terms of the circadian standpoint. But if you're blocking receptors to adenosine within the brain, 
you're then going to have issues with that sleep pressure side of things. So it kind of works in unison. So the best thing I ever did was give up caffeine. Honestly, it was hell for the first two weeks. I had a splitting headache every day, which just showed to me that, you know, I was taking something that didn't agree with me. I'd become addicted to it and it was painful to withdraw from it. Mm. Um, but the sun in the morning gives you everything you then need. Once you start um, withdrawing from caffeine, maybe drinking a Swiss water decaf um, to, to wean yourself off it, something like that. Um, you can then appreciate the full effects of the sun in the morning and, and how it makes you feel and how it stimulates that cortisol level to keep you, you know, keep you awake and, and alert and jumpstart you for that day. So, you know, that would probably be my advice for people to, to trial if, if it's still, you know, they still feel that feeling and, and having that kind of you know, feeling that you've, um, you know, so, so humbly shared with us that, you know, you get that feeling in the morning of, you know, God, I need a coffee right now. Like I didn't want to become dependent on something like that um, mm. myself. And I found for me personally, and again, people can tolerate caffeine and don't, don't need to drop it if you're feeling great. But for me personally, it didn't work. It interfered with my sleep. It interfered with um, the, uh, I think the cortisol production during the day for me. And, you know, caffeine as well, if you take a lot of it, it can spike, you know, and stimulate the adrenals as well. And, you know, a lot of people that are not tolerant to caffeine get things like adrenal fatigue as well over time from drinking too much, um, too much caffeine. So, you know, people just have to be that you have to play around is I guess what I'm saying, Michael, is that there's no one size fits all to this. Mm. And it's almost like, look at your life from your perspective and be like, okay, right, I'm still feeling like this in the morning. What am I doing wrong here? Is Am I wearing my blue blockers correctly at night? Um, am I allowing my skin to be exposed to blue light? Am I watching the sunrise in the morning? Am I using a lot of screens during the day? Am I drinking a lot of caffeine? Am I eating the wrong thing or, you know, X, Y, and Z? It could, could be absolutely anything. Um, you know, so many different variables that go into this thing. Hence, you know, it's, it's all a journey and we're all on very different stages of that journey. Um, and your second question in relation to, I guess, circadian meal timing, um, and, and the gut health, if there's the corollaries. Yeah. 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 I mean, my, my gut health was, um, it, it, to be fair, a lot of it was due to extreme dieting. Um, my, my gut test was off the back of a carnivore diet and I had incredible amounts of bacteria to break down the types of meat I was eating. I also had um, some sort of genetic predisposition where the digestion of saturated fat was more difficult for me. Um, and I've been eating red meat three times a day. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not giving up red meat because saturated fat is essential. But, you know, the advice from my gut doctors were to reduce the amount of red meat I was eating and eat more fish, um, which when I look at my ancestry, um, which, which I know, um, I've, I've had the DNA test to, to determine it, the latitudes that I grew, grew up, I grew up in, I guess the latitudes my ancestors evolved from were very much Northern European, um, which would indicate a diet heavier in fish and not so much in, in red meat. So it kind of tracing back my genealogy, it made a, a lot of sense to me. Um, the main issue as well that I had with my gut was zonulin levels were extremely high, which is an in indication of, of gut permeability, particularly through glyphosate, like you mentioned. So I had to go through a repair mechanism for, for that. And, and it just so happened that my um, naturopath that I worked with is, is also a, um, a very keen biohacker. And I, I sought her out because um, 
you know, she would have that perspective on, you know, not just natural remedies, but also that biohacking perspective as well. And, you know, the the things that she was saying to me and, and you know, she, she knows our mutual friend, Tim Gray, um, very well as, as well. Um, and she was at Health Optimization Summit last year. Um, What's her name? She was... Um, Jodie Deval. Okay, wonderful. Based here in Perth, which is fortunate. Um, didn't even know her until um, I think it was Luke Story and Seam Land mentioned me to her in in London. So it's so random how people get connected. Um, but you know, I had these um, sort of natural remedies, herbal things to take, but also the prescription was more more UV light in that gut region. Hmm. Um, and when you look at um, UV light, um, you know, it really does stimulate serotonin, but it also heals. UV light is a healing light. And, you know, I'm still researching a lot more in this area, so I can't go as, as deep as I would like to with you on it. But um, just by being out in the morning with less on um, and throughout the day seemed to help me as well in terms of, you know, making my gut respond a lot better to, to certain foods. And, you know, I used to, before I got my gut checked, and, and this is all fairly recent, mine, this is like, you know, in the last year, um, I couldn't eat certain things without ballooning. Like I could eat, you know, meat all day, be fine. Um, but if I was to have a potato, like a potato, small potato, or, a, you know, say I wanted a little um, naughty bit of food and I wanted a bit of pasta or I wanted some rice or something like that, um, or a slice of bread or, or something like that, I would eat it and I would instantly put on like four or five pounds and my gut would swell up. I'd be in pain. Um, and I just thought, you know, it's, it must be a carb thing. And I, I initially thought maybe it's gluten, but then there was potatoes and rice. It, it did the same thing. And there's no gluten present in those things. And when I started to do the things that she told me to do, you know, I was taking some of the, the supplements, um, getting outside more, um, not just setting my eyes on the sun, but getting UV in, in that gut area. I just I could then eat these foods um, without having any any reaction or effect and no weight would be gained and um, it would be digested and it wouldn't affect any of my sort of bowel movements as, as well. It would just all be normal. And I'm not saying like now, I'm you know, like maybe Jack Cruz would say, which is, you know, you can eat anything. But, you know, what he's saying is is partially correct. If you can get your light environment right, if you can get that gut health right, you can be a lot more diverse in what you eat. And I think that you know, some of the more extreme diets that, that are out there take away from, you know, some of the more omnivorous traits that we have as humans, um, where, you know, we need that balance in our, in, in, in our life to be able to get the, the most optimal gut environment. And, you know, from my perspective, I wanted the most optimal gut environment because it's where serotonin is produced. Mm. Um, and I want that, I want as much serotonin as I can produce during the day, which is produced with UV, produced with um, infrared and, and specific frequencies of sunlight in the gut to be able to mix with the tryptophan that I'm putting into my my body through my diet, through, through eating of the white meats, um, to make my melatonin later and sleep better. So it all sort of ties in with, you know, a lot more downstream processes that then impact us from an upstream perspective um, in, in overall health. So, you know, it was, I always say to people like the, the, the gut is... I just thought it was woo, you know, for so long. And then when I actually went and spoke to someone about it and got the results back and had these protocols to to amend it, I mean, I didn't have any major issues. I just had a few few imbalances. Once you start fixing them, like you just you feel great, um, you feel amazing, and I, I sleep better even when now that my gut's better. Like I slept good before because I managed light, but 
you know, like I said before, it's not just about light. It's about that sleep pressure side of thing. It's, it's also about gut health. Having the correct gut um, environment also helps with um, sleep improvement. So it all, all comes back to a multitude of, of different things, really. Different inputs. I, I, yeah, I, exactly. I, I've definitely – so there's a couple things. I, one, I'm going to experiment with uh, weaning myself off caffeine and using more light. Uh, but secondly, I also want to check into this uh, this wonderful biohacker. I may I may I may check yeah. out Judy uh, because I do think that I've had similar uh, gut dysbiosis and, and implications from glyphosate. And I'm not certain, honestly. I mean, I've done things like bone broth and a variety of different protocols to sort of get back in, into a good way. And I've done some di- you know sort of dietary resets. But I think. That's an aspect I definitely want to focus on. Secondly, which I'd love to sort of tap in, which is on the light side. So here as we're recording, it's about to turn to to nighttime and I'm sitting in front of obviously my computer and I've got uh, next to me my my blue blocks, my blue light blocking glasses. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is, uh, so I've been, to be fair, I've been experimenting with a variety of different solutions for the nighttime and this this sort of circadian living, if you will. You know, the the how can I tap into my circadian biology? How can I optimize my evenings? You know, sleep is so important to me, and I've seen obviously with cognitive decline, which became very very important in terms of mitigating factors that you know sleep is the time when we take out the trash, and mm-hmm. so. I had been on the search for, you know, sort of the best technologies and it was actually our mutual friend, uh, Tim, who runs, you know, the health optimization summit that connected us and you were gracious enough to, uh, to send me a pair of these, uh, blue blocks, which I've been absolutely loving. And I think on one of our first calls when we connected, you told me about some of the science that differentiated these from other glasses, which to be frank and full transparency before getting these, I had just gone on Amazon and I was like, like oh well these are all, these are only 40 bucks i'll get these instead of the whatever mm-hmm. you know uh and also frankly a lot of them make you look like a total dork which i'm i don't mind when i'm when i'm in front of my computer by myself but if i'm going through an airport or whatever you know not to say i'm totally vain but i definitely don't mind mm-hmm. if they look good and and, I, and that was the other factor i think that that really uh, for me um set the blue blocks apart was i felt like they were actually stylish glasses that were engineered well but you had you know sort of described for me the distinction so can you, for the benefit of the audience, just talk a little bit about um, kind of what led you to start Blue Blocks and why they're different from other uh, glasses in the space? Yeah, absolutely. And when I was um, diving into the research to sort my sleep out um, before I started Blue Blocks, I obviously stumbled across light um, from reading a lot of the, the PubMed academic peer review clinical trials that were out there. Um, and I obviously that led me to buy blue light glasses, like, um, you know, exact same process as yours. I was looking at them. I was like, oh, some are more expensive than others, but they all look the same color. So, you know, these orange lenses that you wear after you go to, um, after, after the sunset. So I bought a pair, I think 20 bucks, I think back in the day, um, ugly looking things, put them on, um, didn't really do too much in my sleep. It helped a little bit. Um, but then after a couple of weeks of wearing them, it sort of, regress back a bit um to how it was before and you know that's when i had that sort of eureka moment of like well it's very clear from the literature that there is a specific zone of light to create the um physiological darkness that um felt said you know 2002 in his study um and that is between 400 nanometers and 550 nanometers which i mentioned earlier so 
just so happened I knew some people in an optics lab and you know I was thinking at a time like you know I wanted to start a business in health and wellness and it just so happened that you know this was what it would be but I ordered I think it was about 20 different pairs of blue light glasses online varying costs because I wanted the lab to run these through their um, spectrometer uh, to basically tell me what frequencies of light they were blocking. And lo and behold, when the results came back, not one of those pairs of glasses was blocking exactly what needed to be blocked after sunset to get optimal sleep and create physiologic darkness. So I said to them, and, and some of these, some of these were way off, you know, like 50%, some went up to like 80%, you know, but nothing was close to that 100% because the light, um, the, the brain and the central clock system doesn't care if it's 1% of light or 100%. Um, it's still going to send them a message to the brain that shouldn't be going to the brain at that time. So we wanted to, to basically ask the lab, well, here's the melatonin disruption zone, 400 to 550 nanometers. Can you develop me a coating for lenses that blocks 100%, not 99, 100% of the light in that zone? And they said, okay, challenge accepted, we'll do it. Um, they, they didn't charge me anything, which is amazing. So they just did this prototype, sent it to me with the results and, and they'd achieved it. So what I did was before I launched Blue Blocks and, and in the early stages, I, I paid for just a few samples of these from, from this lab. And I sent them out to a load of different people. Luke, Luke's story was actually one of them. Um, it was one of the um, early tries on of, of these glasses. And I just said to him, you know, like, and, and the other people, you know, literally don't want anything from you except here's the science. Here's the feedback. Um, uh, sorry, here's the science. Here's, here's a pair of the glasses. Can you just let us know if you think we've got something here? And all of them came back saying, yeah, we, you've got something here. You know, you, you need to take this further. And then that was when we started to get these glasses then produced in an optics lab here in Australia. So what a, what, what a lot of our competitors were doing with their orange glasses that you get from Amazon is they were just going to a factory in China, getting a few thousand of them, sticking them up for, you know, um, you know, a few bucks a, a pair and, and selling them on, but had no idea about the science behind it. So we charge a lot more for our glasses because they do exactly what the academic literature is saying you need to do to get better sleep and be optimal. And we're using optics quality lenses we you know we 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 can put our technology into any pair of prescription glasses if people have a prescription or reading glasses um and they're all made um here in australia as well so we're not getting them made in a dusty dirty factory somewhere you know these are in a three-tiered qc process in, an, in a world-renowned optics lab that we so happen to have a contract with and and uh, with our specific tints and you know it led us then to look at light during the daytime as well and, and understand that some of the conditions that people were suffering from that may or may not have been caused by light, you know, things like anxiety, stress, depression could actually be, you know, lessened by managing light throughout the day. Like you don't want to block blue light during the day. You want to block it after sunset because during the day, blue light makes you feel alert and awake. But because we've got so many sources of blue light now, we're getting too much of it and it's causing digitalized strain. It's exacerbating, you know, things like um, anxiety, stress and, and depression. So we found that specific frequencies of light that trigger migraine headaches were very much at the lower end of the blue spectrum. So we created this lens called Summer Glow, which was a yellow lens that migraine sufferers and people with seasonal affective disorder can wear during the day, which actually 
you know, takes out the frequencies of light that can trigger these kind of attacks and feelings um, that they're getting. But we also then took it a step further and infused this yellow lens with a color technology um, because we looked at color therapy and found that specific colors could actually lift people's mood. So people that had, you know, stress, anxiety, depression, and sad wanted this mood boost. So we created this tint that also infused color therapy with it as well. So you had blue blocking on specific frequencies that trigger these these issues, but also color therapy to boost people's moods. And you know, loads of people now are just saying they, they call them happy glasses now, even though they're summer glow, but people call them these happy glasses. And then we created a final lens, which were for the avid computer user. These were these clear lenses that didn't have a tint on them. We just impregnated, impregnated the lens with this filter um, that allowed about 30% of blue light to be absorbed and reflected, which means that, you know, you didn't have to, you know, look at screens that were, you know, bright red during the day, or you didn't have to actually put your salt lamps next to your, your computer if you didn't want to. And what they did was they allowed enough blue light to come through to make you function correctly, but removed enough to not give you dry, watery, tired eyes and headaches at the end of using, um, end of the day using a computer. So those are the three lenses we we produced. And, you know, we, we were shocked within three months that the Australian national soccer team approached us and wanted us to wanted to use our glasses for a World Cup qualifier because they had to travel to Honduras and they wanted to. It just so happened their chief sports scientist wanted to and knew about how light impacts circadian rhythms and he wanted to manipulate light on their flight to resync their clocks so they didn't have to spend weeks recovering from jet lag before they played their World Cup qualifying in Honduras and. That was when we thought to ourselves, wow, like that soon we can work with those types of people. And now, you know, we, we've got tens of thousands of people wearing this product. And the, the the stories we're getting back from them, Michael, it just like, honestly, some of them like choked me up quite a bit. You know, like we, we got one guy, a personal trainer in in the Northern Territory here in, in Australia that his mum suffered from insomnia for 30 years and he bought a pair of these Sleep Plus red lens glasses for her. And after one night, she slept entirely through the night for the first time in 30 years. And it was just an amazing testimonial to receive. And, you know, we've had people that have suffered from, you know, real bad anxiety attacks um, during their life. And when they're wearing the yellow summer glow lenses, they feel that the frequency of those has reduced significantly. And, and all the way down to people that are like, oh, my God, like, it's so good to use a computer and not get, you know, really dry eyes and a headache at the end of the day. So, you know, it's just been an amazing journey. And the, the fact that we've created this product that is so optimal and evidence-based um, and the fact that we don't particularly like going out and selling this product directly, we prefer to educate. We want to empower people. And hence why I was so excited when you, you kindly invited me on your show that we can provide the science. You know, we're not about selling product to make a quick dollar here and, and mass producing some crap overseas and, and trying to sell it to people. We put a lot of thought into our products, but we also want to give people the, the free things that they can do to improve their circadian rhythm. We want to educate to empower people to make these decisions themselves. Because some people might listen to this and go, ah, load of rubbish, not interested. But even if one person listens to this out of the thousands that listen to your amazing show and says, I'm going to change this and they change their life for the better, then this call was hundred percent worth it. Yeah, man. That's, that's why you and I vibed. That's why I was like, <laughs> I, I mean, I like Andy, you know, and actually we were meant to connect in person cause you were going to come in for paleo FX, but 
um, you know, this whole Corona thing went down and, uh, you know, I've been using the glasses. So I was like, you know what, let's, let's get you on the show because uh, yeah, I know we we're going to do lunch and chat and all that, but, uh, but I'm keen. And I think, you know, look for those who are having those issues, I, I had eye strain, you know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I had macular degeneration. I, had, I hadn't gone too deep down cause I've been doing pretty, pretty good, uh, care of the eyes, but this has definitely become part of my, my routine and part of my, uh, to, the, one of the great tools in my toolbox. So I reached out to you before the call. And uh, and asked uh, if you would actually do uh, a discount for the for the listeners, and you said you mm-hmm. would. Uh, did you were you able to set that up? Actually, uh, yeah. Okay, cool. We'll set up. Yeah, peak for fifteen percent off if if people wanted to. Uh, yeah, start to revolutionize their their health through light hygiene. Definitely. Yeah, man. So yeah, so peak hit it up. Uh, Blue blocks. Uh, it's I'll link obviously below in the show notes. But um, I've done a fair amount of research. I've talked to a great number of my friends. I mean, obviously, you were introduced to me. And that was the interesting piece is that we were actually at Tim, uh, one of my dear friends who runs Health Optimization, which he launched with Dave Asprey and, uh, and um, the Paleo FX founders. And I was sitting next to, you know, Luke Story literally just sat next to me at the table. I had my blue blo- uh, blue blocks there and we all just started talking about it. I was like, oh, okay, there's there's something there when you see all these different synergies. And then obviously in talking to you, I realized it was deeply grounded in science and, and I did my research. So I, I definitely stand by what you're up to and, and I appreciate you also just sharing, I think, with the generosity of spirit, you know, like I think everything you shared in lead up uh, is so valuable and, and, and some of that stuff what, what while i knew it i you know I, I think the way you spoke about it it's encouraged me I, i'm going to double down personally on on gut health and and my mornings mm-hmm. and think about caffeine and some of the other things i'm now six months off alcohol uh which you know Amazing. uh you know i don't i can't i'm not saying i'll never drink again but it's definitely revolutionized my life i can say that unequivocally uh in terms of the quality of my sleep my just mental like my lack of being emotionally at effect which i was much more emotionally at effect before um but i think one of the few um things i still have that i that i kind of lean into and lean on a little too much probably is coffee so i think that's great and i feel like if i can use light and sort of mitigate with you know using the glasses and you know the you know the candles and and so forth at night to to sort of prep my body to get that really restful sleep and then rock up in the morning without needing so much coffee I'll be a happier man. So, um, on a yeah. personal level, I'm grateful to you, Andy. Uh, and I know my audience got a ton of value out of everything you shared. So I, I just wanted to say, thanks, man. I really honor and acknowledge what you're up to. I think so many people still have no idea, uh, what kind of light they're bringing in and what kind of tools they can use to mitigate against some of the costs that are impacting them, uh, as a result of those inputs. So, uh, really helpful helpful to think about what kind of benefits we can bring to our life as it relates to a more optimal relationship with light. So thank you so much, Andy Matz. Thanks so much, mate. It's been a pleasure. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andy Matz. Um, I think light is going to be talked about more and more as especially we move into cities and we're besieged at the workplace with fluorescent lights and we work on our screens sort of night and day. I've been thinking about it a ton and you know one of my commitments with this show is to present you guys with the best thought leaders as well as the best products and best tools that you can use to optimize your life. So 
I hope you get a lot of value. I highly, highly recommend the uh, blue light uh, blocking glasses, the blue blocks. Um, I've tried a variety of glasses. I've been wearing them for years, and uh, blue blocks have definitely been a, a savior for me in the nighttime. I keep them by my bedstand. I've got a pair by my computer, and uh, they're just super helpful for computer work to to keep the the strain off the eyes and to keep my circadian rhythm in flow. So. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you did, please go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and review over on iTunes. It helps us get great guests. It helps us uh, build this community and uh, show up in the algorithm. So, so greatly appreciate if you take 20 seconds to do so. For all those that have, I so, so appreciate you. And regardless, you know, if you guys have listened uh, to this show and if you give, you've given me your time and energy, I'm so, so appreciative. I do not take it for granted. It's my commitment to bring you better guests each and every week uh, and to continue to grow this show with, with epic, epic information. And I hope it's been valuable for you. I'm so appreciative of your time and energy. Uh, please, um, please, please go out there and live your inspired life.